When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's PK and Puyol or PK and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough. And as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy, all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content. Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. Welcome. This is the Barcelona Podcast brought to you by Dan Hilton and Frances Tomas, of course. We are delighted you are here listening in for an opinionated take on the hottest breaking stories from the camp. No, thank you one and all to everyone who has already visited the BarcelonaPodcast.com to describe, comment, and support the show by taking advantage of the many deals we offer. We'll talk more about how you can get involved later in the show, but for now, let's get started, Frances. Let's do that. I am hugely excited to be talking about Paolo Dybala in our first topic of the day. It is a name that we haven't mentioned for a while, and he has come to the forefront given the Neymar uh, PSG links that has surfaced. Then we're going to move on to El Maestro Xavi. He's been talking to the press, um, sort of giving very opinionated takes as always. And we'll try to break that down for you. And we will end with uh, talking about starters who have left Barca in recent years. So let's get started. You mentioned a new fun name we get to talk about today is Paulo Dybala and Unlike the previous weeks when we've had to talk about Paulino because he's been in the media and he's been linked to the club, Dybala is a name that, Frances, I'm certainly excited to talk about. If you were to make a wish list for me and I would say, oh, Barcelona have unlimited amount of money to bring in these quality players, Dybala would be very close to the top of my list there. And I think one of our very first shows, I had mentioned him as being a guy on the wish list. And the reasons for that are, are pretty clear. He's only 23 years old. He has 19 goals last season. 11 in Serie A, 4 in the Champions League, of course Barcelona remember that, and 4 in the Copa Italia, 7 assists as well in Serie A, and most impressively, his 85% passing, and just how dangerous he is in the middle of the field, how 
just the, the level of ingenuity he uses, particularly the second he receives the ball, that he's quickly getting into movement, quickly changing direction. And while he wouldn't necessarily be the heir, as you had mentioned, this story now kind of coming to the forefront because if Neymar were to leave, if PSG were to trigger his 222 million euro release clause, then that would mean that Barcelona has just an abundance of money to spend. And you'd have to think that needing another forward option, that Paolo Dybala moves immediately to the top of the list. And you and I had talked about in the past, even, Frances, that Dybala is the kind of player that Barcelona would be expected as Luis Suarez, over 30, continues to age, that Dybala, by the time he's 26, 27, you and I have both said that we expect to see him in a Barcelona uniform. That's totally right. Dybala is a name that we haven't mentioned for a little while, but given the link that Neymar and PSG have been having over the last, say, week, um, it is obvious that Dybala is going to be the first name coming to the forefront, particularly if Barca do receive 222 million euros from the Neymar transfer, if that was to ever be completed. I'm hugely excited to be talking about Dybala. He's quick, he's creative, he's a very agile player. His technical skill is, is for, the, for, the, for everyone to see. He has balance, his position is, is impeccable, he's really fresh, he can break defences, he can sort of drop into midfield whenever needed. He is very gifted and able to get out of tight spaces. He's able to hold up the ball for teammates when they're coming from the second line. He understands when and when not to, which is crucial, make attacking runs into space. He is really hardworking. He's a good teammate. He really is an ideal number 10, an ideal number 9, and if you push it, an ideal winger for Barca to have in the team. So if Neymar was to leave, undoubtedly, Dybala has to be the number one target for, for reinforcements. Um, in the attacking line to happen. 23 goals for Juventus in 2015-2016 and 19 goals the previous season, having played around 48 and 46 games per season since joining La Vecchia Signora. is the tremendous stats, particularly in a team that, as we know, is not traditionally attacking. So, yeah, undoubtedly, he has to be number one choice if Neymar was to leave. The only faults against him aren't really his fault too much. He, he's not gifted with great height, so he's not particularly good in the air. But Dybala basically checks off every other Barcelona DNA-required box in that he's good at dribbling, passing. He's terrific on set pieces as well, as is very much like Neymar in a similar way. He's very good at retaining the ball, which is we had mentioned to get back to that Barcelona style of play. Ball retention is something that Iniesta, we've seen the best from him. Messi, terrific at it. And to have that Barcelona style, it takes a fantastic amount of ball retention. And Barcelona fans up close and personal in that Champions League tie got to see that Dybala does not lose the ball in tight situations. And in tight situations, he's very good with combining with teammates, another Barcelona quality that you have to have, particularly in those those short, small, three-yard windows. He's really good at taking long shots and... As I had mentioned, basically any Barcelona-style box that you can click, Dybala fits the bill. Not only that, but Messi, of course, has said to be a pretty big fan of his, being an Argentinian player as well. And for the international squad or his international career, it's kind of just getting going. But for Dybala, I think Argentinian fans are crazy about him too because you look at the way that Argentina have they've had success. And we talked about this when we talked a few weeks ago now about Messi and 
him not having the international success he would have liked to and getting to all those finals but falling short, whether it was the Copa America or the World Cup, of course. But for Dybala, he's part of that next generation as they look to try to phase out Gonzalo Higuain and, of course, Sergio Aguero eventually will be phased out. And so for those strikers in Argentina, he really is being billed as, you know, finally that heir apparent to Messi. And not as a new Messi, but just as the guy who's going to take the responsibility of leading the Argentinian attack. And that is quite a lot of pressure. And as you mentioned, too, he was seen as being that focal point of the attack on, on the forward line. And while he isn't that out-and-out number 9, he's certainly a Barcelona-style number 9 or a number 10. The one question, though, I have, Frances, and as I was trying to figure out where he fits, he does fit best as basically that secondary striker right behind a traditional target striker. And, of course, that's not a formation that we've seen Barcelona employ for quite some time, basically the last 20 years or so. So that would, would that require Barcelona to change up the way that they position themselves on the field would that mean that they would have to change their formation slightly and what would that mean for Messi who as we had mentioned is looking to be moving a little bit more centrally now this season and in future seasons as he ages because Dybala has really never played out on the left wing he's not a like for like replacement potentially for Neymar but he's certainly a player of quality that he would have to be in that starting lineup yeah no that, that's a good point but I think that at the moment that you've got quality world-class players in your squad then they they adapt you know, the formation at Barca has traditionally been three, sorry, four, three, three, with three attackers up front. But, you know, that can vary. I don't think it's going to. And that's why, as I said in our previous episode, I'm really eager to see what Ernesto Valverde uses in the USA Tour, particularly as the games go, go, go by. But, um, no, I think if you've got players in the squad who are good enough to start, then the formation can, can be modified. I think let's make a little sort of throwback here. David Villa joined Barca from Valencia and Villa was pretty much a central striker. Fair enough, he was able to run towards the wings and, you know, if he was ever positioned in the wing, which was rare, he would sort of drift towards the middle. That is something that we've seen Dybala do as well. But Villa was hugely successful at Barca, particularly his first two seasons after coming from Valencia. And he was pretty much deployed as a winger because if you remember at the time, Messi was excelling as a false nine. Um, which was very fashionable in, in world football around the 2012-2011 sort of season. And Villa was very successful for quite a number of years at Barca as well. So if Dybala has the quality, which as we just said is pretty much obvious, and has the willingness, which, you know, why wouldn't he? Then he would be a perfect fit for Barca, even though that he may not look it at the very, at the very moment. Um, I just want to add something else as well. A player that left Argentina and his first professional club, which was Instituto de Córdoba, at age 18 and moved across the pond to, to play professional football at such a young age, it really is remarkable. If you think about it, Messi came to us at 12, but then again, he went through the whole La Masia youth system sort of procedure and he debuted at 17 years old. But what Dybala had to do was moving not at a very early age, but actually once his professional debut was already done. So it, to be to be honest, that's even I would say even more impressive because he had to build his career at a professional level at just 18 years old in a completely new country. And uh, credit to him for for making it a success. So Barca, if there is a chance, should definitely definitely be after Dybala. You mentioned he didn't go through the youth academy, 
And that what brings us to our very next topic. And this is our, we'd say the main topic, the beef of this show today, is talking about Xavi's comments. And I think the best way to go about this, Frances, to try to break this down, I'm going to say a few of the quotes, and then we can kind of react to them and respond to them accordingly. Quote number one, which was the headline quote that we've seen through multiple different sources globally, Xavi said, in general, Barcelona have been sleeping. They have to boost the Cantera and their model of play. Young players have to learn this form of play so that when they arrive in the first team, they already have the concept properly learned. The Cantera coaches have to make players. They have to teach them. You have to form them from the youngest ages. If you win, great, but that's not the objective. Then he went on to say, but it's not like that. That's not how things work. I learned to play in La Masia, not in the first team. The academy coaches have to develop players. They have to teach. Winning the youth league doesn't matter. You have to form players at that age. If you win, good, but it's not the objective, as he reiterated. Then he said, I'm glad for them, as in now talking about Barcelona B's promotion. I'm glad for them, but it's not essential. Guardiola took over the B team in the fourth division and took Busquets and Pedro into the first team. Jeffren, Victor Sanchez, and Boyan too. So with those quotes and, and these comments, they seem harsh. That's why they're in the tabloids. That's why they're in the newspapers. That's why, why they're all over the internet. So they seem harsh, but the argument is very clear. And it's just a Barcelona legend reiterating, I think, what a lot of fans are thinking, Frances. I think when Xavi speaks, we all need to sit down and listen. He has gone throughout the whole system. He started as a very young player. He had to go, I still remember when he had to go in uh, the coach, La Camioneta, that we used to call it, a little coach, um, going to training on a daily basis, four times a week. And, uh, you know, 10, 11, 12 years old. And he retired uh, a legend at 36 years. Obviously, he's now in Qatar, um, reportedly learning to be a coach so that he can come back one day. So anything that El Maestro says, we have to listen. And we have, to, we have to really pay attention. He says that Barca have been sleeping. Um, I sort of agree in the sense that the players that are coming through from La Masia, while they are of good quality, they, I don't think, have been nurtured in the very same way that the La Masia coaches were doing it in the early, say, 1990s to 1996 sort of thing, which is when Puyol, Xavi and Gabri went through. Now, I think the most influence that the dream team former players can have, the better. I am delighted that Guillermo Amor and Jose Maria Vaquero are now involved in La Cantera as directors. And I think that they are going to put people they trust, people that have sort of the Johan Cruyff philosophy under their belts in order to develop our youngsters. So I think that while you know La Masia has been quite successful this year, we've won lots of titles, but what Xavi is saying is that it needs to be a little bit deeper than just winning. It needs to be about the philosophy. It needs to be about the values. It, need to, it needs to be about the positioning and the way that we play and the decision-making. So all of that, I think, needs a little bit of refining. So I sort of agree with what Xavi is saying. Having said that, I think the players coming through La Masia they are still head and shoulders above pretty much anyone else's, at least in Spanish football. So, yes, it should be better, but I don't think it is disastrous. Yeah, I would agree with that. And you and I have talked in the past about how excited we were about Barcelona B getting promoted and how that could be one of the biggest factors of, of enforcing reinforcing the first team. 
and making a, a much simpler or much more natural transition from the second division to the first division. Um, and where Xavi disagrees with you and I about our excitement about Barca B being the second division is that he says there's basically no excuse that if the academy is teaching those principles, then players can take the jump from any division up to the first team because they're playing the Barcelona way. And so Xavi's kind of saying, you know, I understand that I understand that they, they want to be at the, the highest level of competition for all these different youth leagues, and they want to be winning, and they want to be doing well, because, again, winning kind of shows that you have the best players at a certain age group, but Xavi's saying it doesn't, you know, he really is devaluing the winning, saying it doesn't matter, and I agree with that at youth level. At youth level, whether they're 10 years old, whether they're 15 years old, I would say turn the scoreboard off completely. It doesn't matter what the score is. It's all a matter of how well they pass together, how well they're making their runs, how they're learning their spacing on the field, their technical touch, their ability to understand their teammates and the opponents and things like that, and anticipating what's coming next. And the things that Iniesta and Xavi did so well, it's getting players to understand those principles. I completely agree with, I mean, how could you disagree with Xavi as well? Now, the one point, though, I think that Xavi is missing, however, is I think being the fact that he was in that golden generation, the fact that he was in the epicenter of Pep Guardiola's Barcelona teams, I I think that Xavi is kind of, again, maybe downplaying the fact that the natural talent of Lionel Messi, of Piquet, of Xavi, of Iniesta, just the natural skill that those players most likely had since birth, particularly in Messi. The, the, the skill and the talent that they have naturally is, we'll say, far greater than some of the natural ability. And just, just playing the odds, Frances, the, the chances and odds of young players to have the talent of Lionel Messi, as we're seeing, as Messi might be the greatest of all time, whoever played, whoever laced up boots, the, the odds of Barcelona particularly locally, when, of course, players, they, they have to be playing in Spain, or, again, if a parent moves from a different country, then that happens. But as Barcelona can t- attest with their ban, they have to be getting youth players in a proper way, in a legal way. And so that does kind of limit where Barcelona, at the, when kids are six, seven, eight years old, that limits their reach, and that limits where they can pull these players in from. It has to be local. And so the chances of the next Lionel Messi just sitting there waiting on the streets of Barcelona are not that high. And so I think Xavi is kind of downplaying just how good the talent around him was. But to his credit, as he's saying, the fact that Sergio Busquets was able to make the jump with Guardiola from the fourth division to the first team is, I think, the point that I agree with and we should harp on, that Barcelona should be playing their academies and using their academies in a way that players are prepared as far as the style to go right up. Now, looking currently at the best test for this, I think Samper, even though we say that his development went off the rails a little bit, and of course the Granada loan didn't work out, Samper's work through the youth system, and we said that he was the next heir apparent to Busquets, well, I think now's the time to see that. Now's the time to see that instead of saying we're going to discard Samper, if he plays the Barcelona way, then we'd like to see that he plays the Barcelona way, as he, I think, is the best current example, along with Carlos Elena, of two players that should be able to go now into the first team because they were raised in the youth system. I don't think I could agree more. Definitely spot on. I agree with every single word you said there. Uh, I just want to add one, one final point, which is the fact that players throughout the years have made the transition 
but they have made the transition mostly from Segunda División A. Um, I, I do understand that um, Guardiola was teaching in Tercera División, which is the third division, which actually is the fourth division in Spain because you've got Segunda B, which is above. But yeah, from the fourth division going into the first team with um, with Guardiola, but that you know that was the same coach from the B team who then moved to the A team. So he's a, a coach moving upwards with his players. So they're players that he already knows very well. They he knew that they were trusting him. They he knew exactly what they could bring. And when he analyzed the first team, then he decided that you know that was the right thing to do. But that is not a situation that we've got now. Valverde is coming in a way as an external, um, having spent most of his career as a player and a manager at Atleti Bilbao. Obviously, Valverde played for Barca in the late 1980s and um, leaving, I think, it was 1990. So he knows Barca very well, but it is a different situation and we need to understand that times have moved on and you know we've got someone else in charge and we need to adapt to that. But the point I was making is that if you're playing week in, week out in Segunda A, you're playing against, say, Oviedo and Cadiz and could be Leganés, Getafe, etc. Teams that arguably could be first division caliber, but if you're playing in Segunda B and you're playing against, say, Gaba or Castel de Fels or uh, players of, of that level, then it's obvious that playing against better opposition will make you a better player. So I sort of disagree with Xavi on that, but um, his whole message overall I do agree with. And much of what it does for the rest of the world, and uh, you always get on me about this, but it seems to me that in the world of football right now, where you saw the Dutch, and you talk about the impact of Cruyff there, that the Dutch did lead the youth movement of being able to foster young talent. And of course, Ajax and um, PSV are still producing, and Feyenoord are still producing quality players that wind up going to other clubs, and you look at Luis Suarez being one of those, the former, we'll say, Ajax products, spent some of his youth development there in the Netherlands. But right now in the world of football, it looks like the German academies are fostering those young talent. It seems to me that in the Bundesliga, that's the league in the world that you're seeing the most teenagers make the steps from the U17 level, and then they're playing, and they're 18, and they're 19, and now they're playing roles in the first team, and they're making impacts in the first team. And it seems like no matter if you're Bayern Munich, whether you're Dortmund, or even one of the smaller clubs, by smaller I mean a, a Munchen Gladbach, a, a Borussia Munchen Gladbach, or even a Köln, those kind of clubs in Germany seem to be fostering the youth talent the right way. And you can see that that's almost a top-to-bottom FA change. If you remember... Uh, quite a few years ago when Germany basically revamped everything. This is now about 16, 17 years ago. They revamped their academies. They put more money in youth development in the country, and you're seeing that that's now paying dividends. The same thing's happening, at least for the national team in Belgium, where after Belgium was disgraced about 18 years ago, 16 years ago in international football, they put in all this money in the youth development, and you're seeing what that's fostering. Now, Spain has been able to do that, I mean, internationally winning the World Cup, winning those two Euros. Spain has truly tested their mettle and shown that they have all these great players in this generation. But for the future of Spain, while they do have the success of the U21s, having recently done that, they are winning at the U17 level, to continue that going and to continue working through that, that means you cannot stop putting the trust in your youngsters and and fostering that talent at the youngest age possible. 
And so I think Barcelona and a lot of those Spanish academies have to continue to look at what they're doing there. And you can attest to this, Frances, that as I continue to look through a lot of the stories of footballers coming from the Barcelona region, a lot of them played for, if I'm not mistaken, Dam. Yeah, Dam. Uh, Dam is the beer, so it's Cerveza Dam. They, um, they have plenty of investment in the early 1980s all the way to the 1990s in order to develop um, a team that could compete with Barca, Espanyol, San Gabriel, Granollers at local level. So yeah, Dam, the beer, uh, has their own football team in, in the local community in Barcelona. And a lot of players that end up at Barca, even at Espanyol as well, do go through them at the very beginning of their careers, without a doubt. Great team, actually. Yeah, and so I think putting the faith and putting your resources in just continuing to improve, not just saying we're good enough, this is the way we are, continuing to work on improving at all the youth levels, particularly in the Barcelona area and the Catalonia area, to continue to do that, that is at the core of Xabi's point. And so I think you and I would agree that while we disagree with some of the nuances of and how harsh Xabi was in this comments, I think at its root, Xabi's absolutely right. Yeah, and to be honest, disagreeing with Xabi could be a sacrilege at this moment in time in the Camp Nou. So let's just say that we agree mostly, but we disagree slightly and we're just making a, a couple of points. But Xabi, please forgive us. We do still believe in you. I would be overjoyed, Frances, if Xavi Hernandez listened to our podcast. I think that is, that's the ultimate goal. Yes, and uh, having Xavi speak in English, that would be amazing as well. That is, that's a great point. Xavi would not only have to find our podcast, but have to have the translator next to him to tell him exactly what we're saying. And I would hope that the translator says, oh, they love you. They love you. You were wonderful for the club. You're a legend. And you should continue listening to the show, along with all the people that are continuing to listen now. We want to thank you guys for tuning in to the barcelonapodcast.com. If that's where you're listening, Overcast, iTunes, wherever you're listening, Google Play to your podcast. We have one more topic for you today, and that is kind of wondering back to the Neymar saga right now currently going on. It's looking at some of the starters that have recently left Barcelona and trying to get to the bottom of why, if you're playing for a Barcelona, a Real Madrid, a Chelsea, or Juventus, why would you be so inclined to leave those top clubs that clearly does show that it's about money and not about winning. But sometimes, Francis, as we're about to go over, it's not all up to the player. It's not. It's not. I think it's all about the situation and it's all about what the player actually wants. Um, in our previous episode, we did discuss the reasons why Neymar would want to go. And, you know, as I said before, if he wants to go, then those wide open. Just make sure that the 222 million euros are left in our bank. Thank you very much. Unless you want to stay, of course. Um, we're going to start talking about Claudio Bravo, who left Barca in 2016. I just want to make a point about Bravo, is that he just, although he was starting, he was about to be sort of overtaken in the pecking order by Marc-André Ter Stegen, who, as we've seen in this current the season that just ended, then, you know, he's gone miles, miles, miles ahead of what Bravo could have done. And uh, if you compare it with Bravo's performances in England, where he's been not very good at all um, and not very well loved by the fan base as a result, then I think Barca made the right decision. So having players leaving Barca despite being starters doesn't always necessarily mean that it's a bad move. Yeah, that's true that sometimes Barcelona 
doesn't necessarily need you anymore because of the squad depth that they have. And Barcelona have made good decisions and bad decisions. The idea that, I mean, the first player that comes to my mind, Samuel Eto'o, probably the one that hurts to me at least the most, I think, in hindsight, where he was sent to Inter Milan for Zlatan Ibrahimovic. And while Eto'o won the Champions League in 2010, of course, with Inter, Zlatan never really truly fit at the camp. No, of course. And then Barcelona wound up winning the Champions League in 2011 after Zlatan Ibrahimovic had gone. And so just I, I wonder how much better even Barcelona could have been if they had had Eto. And of course, the replacement, however, being David Villa. David Villa, one of my favorite players of all time, was certainly good enough to replace and, and move in. And I'm glad that David Villa came instead of Zlatan Ibrahimovic. I was never a big Ibrahimovic fan. But to lose Eto for Ibrahimovic, it looks like Barcelona had lost that transaction in hindsight you know, at the time. And Eto, of course, was the starter. He helped basically be one of the transitions between the years of Deco and Ronaldinho and move into the Messi-dominant team, the Iniesta-dominant team, the Xavi-dominant teams with Busquets as well under Pep Guardiola. So Edo being a great service, was pushed from that starting 11 in replacement of, of Ibrahimovic, but Edo was probably the better decision. I think it's very lucky that we weren't recording the Barcelona podcast back in 2008-2009 because Edo is probably my favorite ever striker for Barca. He was so influential. He was tireless. He was so passionate and uh, he truly loved every single one of us and he defended our colors in the best possible way. So I was gutted when he left. But the point that I wanted to make in, in this is that Guardiola... As soon as he joined Barca, he decided to offload Deco and Ronaldinho um, because he, when he analyzed the squad, and obviously, as we said just now, he was a um, Barca B coach at, the, at that moment in time. He knew exactly what the conduct outside of the pitch had been and he realized it was a bad influence. I think he tried to sell it all as well in 2008, but he decided against it, kept it for another year. That went fairly well. But, you know, the very next trans- summer transfer window, he decided to get it all out of the team as well because he has such a huge personality and he was so fiery that the he could have, if he had been a bench player the following season, which he probably would have been, um, would have become quite a nuisance and a negative influence on, say, the upcoming Messi, for example. So I think Guardiola was clever on offloading Deco, Ronaldinho and Eto at the very right moment. And that enabled the growth of Xavi himself as an attacker. Um, because, uh, you know, at that moment in time when Deco was in the team, Xavi was more of a creative, more of a Guardiola sort of player. He only became more attacker when Deco left and Ronaldinho as well. And I think Messi's sort of explosion in the 2009-2019 sort of years, it was simply because it all left. It was because of his example, but also he created a gap. So I think... Coming back to, to the original point, the if players come and players go, that's part of life. Um, everyone, or a lot, vast majority of the Kule community on Twitter and in social media, they're saying, oh, we don't want Neymar to go, we don't want him to go. But I, while I agree that it would be better if he stayed, we can sort of put a gun to their heads and keep them here. If they want to go, they have to go. I think it's all about reinvesting the money that they can potentially bring in the best possible way. And Barca, over the last 20, 25, even 30 years, they've been hugely successful. There is no reason to think that's going to change. Um, Is that linked to Lionel Messi 
uh, erupting into the world scene and, and developing into the best player in the world, probably. Not going to say no, that, but the Barca were great before him and we will eventually be good when he eventually retires. So I think Barca will move on regardless of who plays for them. But obviously, we always want to have the best players. But as I said in the previous episode, only the players that want to defend Arcola should be with us. I think a good example of that, Victor Valdez. And he's a guy that left in 2014 after not renewing his contract, so Barcelona didn't get anything for him, left on a free transfer. And Valdez wanted a new challenge, but unfortunately injuries curtailed any success he could have had. He also had those awful difficulties at Manchester United. So leaving Barcelona really did derail Victor Valdez's career, but it was at a point where the club kind of felt like it was time to move on from a goalkeeping perspective. Of course, that's when Claudio Bravo came in, then followed by Mark andre Ter Stegen, and that's where we are now. But for Valdez, what a, cl- what a legend he was at the club as well. He was part of that generation with Puyol and Xavi and Iniesta, and he shouldn't be forgotten, but that was almost a perfect storm example where why Barcelona would have loved to get a little bit of money for him. His time at the club had ended, and it was, you'd say, almost a, a mutually... Uh, mutually beneficial ending to it because again looking now in hindsight where at the time Barcelona said oh we have no goalkeeper now but now looking at it all these years later well three years later it looks like Valdez was let go at the perfect time in his career for Barcelona to be able to upgrade and prosper at that position at goalkeeper and the one I'll have to bring up though that you had mentioned about not wanting to play at Barcelona I think there's a line that I draw where I say if uh, if it's best for the player to move on, you understand when players leave and you try to understand maybe it's just for the money, but it's also for the opportunities. The one caveat to all of that is that if you play for Barcelona at any time, and the same can be said on the opposite side, if you play for Real Madrid at any time, to me, those transfers from Barcelona to Real Madrid and from Bar- from Real Madrid to Barcelona and I, it's not just for me. This is this is an opinion I think of everybody. That if you wind up moving to the other one, like a Luis Figo, it's just it's a it's a nail in the coffin. That player is now dead to the legacy of the club. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally agreed. Um, I want to talk about Valdez first. I think Valdez made a wrong choice wanting to leave, but um, it was the right thing for for the club. And as you said, we moved on very quickly. I think Valdez was trying to be clever. He said that with 18 months to go before his contract expired, that he was not going to renew it. And what he was trying to do was he was trying to bank on a huge contract elsewhere. Then, as we all, I'm sure, remember, he got badly injured uh, with two games to go. And then he couldn't really get anywhere. So I think that's basically karma being a little bit of a... Yeah, you all know the sentence. So, yeah, that's, that's what happened. That's what happened to him, and uh, that was his choice. And if he wanted to go, then then so be it. Now, Figo. I think I've, I've spoken, I've written about Figo a lot um, over the years. I think I, I don't want to talk about Figo now, because I think that can be a whole sort of special episode that we do one day. But what I will just mention is that Figo leaving Barca is the one thing the one thing in Barca history that really, really annoys me. And to this day, I detest the guy. Um, I can go into the details as to why, but I don't want to do it now because it would take me a whole hour and it would get me far too wound up. So we can do that at a later point. But Luis Figo is the biggest insert insult here that um, Barca has ever had in their, in their squad. So the least we talk about him, the better. But I think we can talk about that in a different episode. 
and um, we can look at that in more depth. But yeah, I hate him to death. Yeah, I mean, Francis, it's it's what the idea that permeates it. That again, I mentioned the Bundesliga earlier in, in this episode that when it seems like Bayern Munich, because of the sheer amount of money that they have, they're just basically picking from Dortmund, from Hoffenheim. They're picking all the the best players from their rivals, and it seems like the rival clubs they're angry about it but they don't necessarily vilify and hate the players forever. They'd be willing to take them back. And when it comes to Barcelona and Real Madrid, and the same can be said, I think, in rivalries around the world, Arsenal, Tottenham, very similar as well. We've seen transfers. Uh, William Gallas, uh, the, the old French defender, I'm reminded of him, that he went from one to the other. And there's been a number of examples through the years. And so for Barcelona and Real Madrid, though, it's just, it's as you mentioned, it's very volatile, where if you go from one to the other, it's, it, it seems to just be the end of the, the love affair you might have had or any enjoyment any of those fans would have had with you is gone completely. But usually, as he mentioned, and most of the time, players do not move on from Barcelona to Real Madrid, and hopefully it never happens again, as we always talk about. And for me, I mean, it works in a way that if you're playing for Real Madrid, I usually try to pick a negative thing out of their game and try to find something wrong with to why that they wouldn't fit it Barcelona as to why the club wouldn't necessarily want them as a talent and so as I said it frustrates me when it's a war over these players like a, 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 a Teo Hernandez or a Danny Ceballos when you do all this research and I look at the player and say oh Barcelona is going to potentially get this player and acquire this player then you prepare yourself to see him in a Barcelona uniform and see how he fits in the system and then they sign for Real Madrid and then you say well actually you know I think maybe they give the ball a little bit too much away in the middle you know maybe their decision making isn't that great is their potential really that high and so you ask yourself questions like that but we'll go right into our fan question Frances as we talk about starters we talk about the number one starter in Lionel Messi and that's where our fan question leads us today on Facebook Matthew Lasardi asked and I'm going to read his whole little blurb it, it, he's got a whole little question and answer kind of on his own. He said, I would love to hear more about how the world takes Messi for granted. Nobody mentions the fact that he plays on a team where he has to work with the midfield where he is naturally a winger. Nobody mentions that he plays for a team whose board has severe deficiencies as far as bringing in players and selling others for profit. Everyone also thinks that Barcelona are so far behind Madrid, but they only lost the league by three points, had a vast advantage in goal difference, had the greatest comeback of all time, and had one of the most legendary moments in classical history thanks to Messi. Yet everyone wants to talk about the sky falling for Barcelona as if they haven't won seven out of the past ten league titles. Messi is the reason why they are able to keep things close even during a down year. But people want to talk about Ronaldo winning a fifth Ballon d'Or when he plays on the best team in the world that has a B team that can beat almost anyone and only started roughly 25 games in the Liga. It's ridiculous. Messi is underappreciated in almost every facet, and I would love to hear your take on it. Yeah, Matthew, thank you for your question. Um, And all of the sort of different points you made, um, it really make, means a lot that fans continue to, to write to us to, to, for us to develop our episodes here. So thank you for that. Um, I don't necessarily think Messi is underappreciated. In fact, I, th- I think Messi is appreciated in his fair sort of weight and, and, and influence. I think he's one of the best players of all time, if not the greatest player of all time. And uh, I think Kules particularly lately in the last, say, two, three years, really understand that we are very lucky to have Messi in our team. He could have been going through any academy in the world. He probably would have made Borussia Dortmund the best team in the universe had he been playing for them. So I think having Messi at Barca is something that we need to say thank you to whoever you believe in 
on a daily basis. Um, in terms of when you go about the Ballon d'Or and Ronaldo and that, I don't care, to be honest. Uh, I'm not really bothered if Ronaldo gets five Ballon d'Ors or 17. As long as Barca win the collective titles, I couldn't bother one little bit. Um, and I, to be honest, I think Messi is not bothered about that either. I think collective titles is what's truly, what truly matters. Sure, but um, Messi has five Ballon d'Ors and Ronaldo is probably going to get five as well. But I don't. I, that doesn't interest me one little bit. I think the importance it has to rely on what the collective as a team achieves. When you talk about um, classical history, as I mentioned in our previous episode, yeah, El Clasico is the biggest game in world football, and uh, Messi, being the best player in Barca history, now also is the best player in classical history, and that's only natural. Um, when you say about the Barca winning seven out of the past ten league titles, yes, we are fully aware of that, and uh, we are very grateful to our team throughout the years for for succeeding. In, to such a degree. I don't think we have forgotten about it. I think that the Barca fan base is ambitious though and uh, better than 7 out of 10 would have been 8 or 9 or even 10 out of 10. So it's an ambitious fan base that always wants to get better but uh, I don't think that we are forgetting about what's happening and what has happened in the past. It's just we always want more and more which to be honest is the sign of a great club and I'm really proud to be part of it. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head there, Frances, that I think I agree with Matthew in that, you know, when you hear you and I talking about all of these cynical negative stories, whether it's Neymar leaving or unable to get Verratti or unable to boost up the club or losing the transfer of Danny Ceballos to Real Madrid, it does sound very cynical. And so we'll, not that we take Messi for granted, but we might go a few shows without talking about Lionel Messi because he's happy at the club. The club is happy with him. He's the the player we rely on, and we he's at this point in his career, we know what he is. He is one of the greatest of all time. And so it's not that we're not choosing not to talk about him because we don't respect him enough or we don't love him enough. It's just that there are other things going on in the club that are maybe putting all the winning that Messi does in jeopardy. And so we're trying to get to the bottom of those stories from our perspective. I think a lot of newspaper and, and websites, they do the same thing. They're trying to get to the bottom of the other stories and the other things going around on around the world of Messi because Messi, as we mentioned, is always going to be at the epicenter of what Barcelona is doing in this present generation. And to Matthew's point as well, that the margin of, of victory for Real Madrid, particularly in Liga in the time that they've won it, has been very narrow. And Messi, as Matthew had mentioned, has kept Barcelona in it, if you will. He's kept them close enough and in striking distance in years that we'd say that Barcelona maybe weren't their best. And so that just is a testament to how good Messi is. And to your point as well, I think everyone kind of does know that. You can't, he's basically the only player, with the exception of Iniesta, I think, that Kule's on Twitter say, this is our player, he's ours, we love him. And everyone else, if you don't want to play for Barcelona, get out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, like that. Um, I fully agree. I think Messi has done fantastically over the years, and although you know he's never going to get any younger, which is unfortunate because we should invite a time machine, invent the time machine. Sorry, like we said in previous episode as well. Um, I think that we are lucky to have him, and uh, the more time we can enjoy his greatness, the better that the club is going to be, the happier we are going to be as people. Because if you're anything like me. Watching Barca play fills me with pride, but seeing Barca play well and winning 
makes me even happier. And that, thanks to Messi, that's happening very often in the last 10 to 15 years. So the challenge I'd like to give our listeners, who we want to thank for listening again to this edition of the Barcelona podcast, is if you have iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, wherever you listen to your podcast and wherever you rate them and review them, I'd like you to go to iTunes, wherever it is, again, you listen to your podcast, give us a rating, give us a review, and maybe give us a number of stars that you would like to give Lionel Messi. Um, and we would hope that that would probably be the maximum number of stars you can give. So again, we want to thank you for listening to the Barcelona Podcast, all those who went to the BarcelonaPodcast.com as well to check us out so we can continue to foster this community, help us grow, help the show grow, and we'll continue to bring you the hottest breaking stories from the camp. No. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon, and Forza Barca. Forza. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.